Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 35. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband to the late Carla L. Ruckert, scribe for the raw contact and president of LL Research. Each of us a devoted seeker and a student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise his own discernment and listen for her own resonance in determining what is true. If you'd like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may send them either to an email at contact, uh, contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are now embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Know. Is everybody here and ready to go? This entity is? I am here, and I am ready to go. Okay. We have our first question from Ivan, or Ivan, via email. And he wants to know, what can I do to ensure that my egoic desire is harmonious with the universal desire? Austin, what do you think about that question? <clears throat> well, I think that the very fact that someone would be contemplating this question of whether their egoic desire is congruent with their higher path means that uh, they're all, they already possess the self-awareness and care uh, to help bring these two into alignment. In my experience, seekers and wanderers uh, can, be tend, can tend to be filled with self-doubt and criticism, but when these are balanced and wielded in a positive way, I think this can be turned into a great tool for analyzing and becoming aware of ourselves and our higher desire. Uh, to wonder about our own intentions and desires is precisely the type of self-investigation that I think allows us to become clearer and more positive beings of service. But as I suspect in Ivan's case, uh, the answers aren't always so clear, and our self-investigation might sometimes seem to get stunted. And I think that the best advice that I could give to somebody who is struggling with that is to just have patience when searching for those answers and trust that through consistent meditation, contemplation, prayer, and self-work, we can be revealed to ourselves. Uh, also, I think that when we feel a persistent desire to do something, even if we aren't sure if it's congruent with our higher desires, it's worth pursuing, uh, keeping in mind that it may simply be a learning experience and that these desires may not necessarily be fulfilled in the way that we're hoping. In my experience, if our desires are born from a place of so-called ego, then pursuing those desires will eventually deliver us catalysts that will be helpful in revealing these aspects of our ego that we may not have been able to identify at first. <clears throat> Acting on such desire may deliver us to a uh, transformation that then shifts our desires and helps us to get a clearer picture of that uh, higher desire or that universal desire that uh, we're talking about. 
But the key, I think, is to just always be contemplating the desires, their fulfillments, where it's leading us, and where our distortions might be in the situation. So long as these questions are asked of ourselves continually, I think pursuing desires is the best way to achieve spiritual growth. Uh, even asking yourself this question means that I think you have the faculty to do so. so that's what I think. No, good job, Austin. Gary, how about you? What's your take on the idea? Do I have a less good answer? Um, <laughs> beginning with probably something Ivan has, that we've never said before at LL Research, and that is with to recommend meditation. Um, that is, as Ross says, always an aid to knowing the self. <clears throat> And uh, presuming Ivan is familiar with LL Research, uh, he will know that that is a repeated theme here. Um, and uh, uh, also my reply would um, follow some of the broad outline of Austin's wherein he encouraged uh, working with that desire. Um, it is unknown exactly what Ivan means by egoic desire, but I'm sure we could arrive at a general ballpark idea of what that is. But um, without examining what is and is not egoic desire, whether egoic desire is a term that applies, just working with um, Ivan's assertion that there is egoic desire, <clears throat> I would reply with the thought uh, that you shouldn't or rather, um, just to, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, don't try to rid yourself of what you call egoic desire. Don't try to control it or force it into something else. Uh, rather, aim your intention upon truth, upon the creator, as you perceive that, and sustain your seeking over the months and years. Uh, seek discipline as you move through the cycles of time and energy and experience and reorient your vision again and again upon the creator as you go. Um, like Austin said, this requires patience. And as you engage that process by focusing and focusing again and focusing upon the creator, the various splinters of small self-oriented egoic desire, so-called, will gradually converge and disclose to you their actual nature. Um, they will evolve and transform into a more unified and more purified and more universal or higher chakra-centered desire that expresses more and more of your actual and your deeper nature. Um, that egoic desire contains energy that is fuel for your path and in working with it um, it will be released from those small containers of the ego and that energy will become available to you and naturally of its own so to speak become as you say harmonious with the universal desire that's about uh, all I could think of in response to your great question Ivan good get Good job, Gary. I think uh, both you and Austin have done a bang-up job here. Let's see what we've got. Right, thank you. Um, universal desire. I think we could take that to be the desire of the creator. And as we remember from the raw contact, the uh, basic desire of the creator, the free will choice, was to make this creation in order that the creator would have more ways of knowing itself. 
each of us as portions of the Creator then has uh, a free will that we can exercise however we wish. Now, Ivan's asking how should he exercise his free will in order to help the Creator know more of who the Creator is. And I think that uh, really you can't make any mistakes. Um, like Ross said, there really are no mistakes. But I know what you mean. You want to try to get to the heart of what the will of the Creator is for you. And not just your will. It's uh, what Jesus said when he was contemplating the cross. Not my will, but thy will be done. And I think that each of us needs to remember that as hard as it is to imagine that the Creator has made this infinite universe with billions of planets and stars, I mean, beyond number, it's infinite. And here we are, little specks of dust on this planet Earth, which itself is a speck of dust. And yet, the Creator is within each one of us, closer than our breath, closer than our hands and our feet, is there, has been there all our lives, will be for all eternity. And if we can listen to that little intuitive voice, that still small voice, that's the Creator. So as you're asking yourself what you should do, when you come up with an idea, see what kind of response you get, what kind of a feeling comes, what kind of, you know, you can call it intuition, you can call it the still small voice, whatever you want to call it, it's the Creator. And the Creator has been guiding us all our lives through that still small voice, through our intuitions. So continue to ask those questions and see what kind of response you get. You will get some kind of response. And I'm sure that uh, a person as conscious as Ivan is, who asks this kind of a question, has been in touch with that still small voice and has, has heard from it before. So continue to ask, and in an open-hearted and open-minded way, uh, go through your day with as much love as you can. A fellow by the name of um, Alistair Crowley uh, put the whole thing into a, a phrase. He said, uh, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Later, I think he adjusted it some for the positive polarity. He said, do what thou wilt under love is the whole of the law. So you can't make a mistake. Uh, you can only uh, get closer and closer to the... the uh, desire of your soul and to the desire of the, the Creator. And I think the Creator is very much um, in sympathy with whatever your soul has decided before the life incarnation. I mean, all of us have made pre-incarnate choices and we've wanted to learn certain lessons here. And those are the lessons that we, we decided before the incarnation would be most in uh, congruency or harmonious with the Creator. So. Um, just keep doing what you're doing and, and, and do it with as much love as you can and as consciously as you can. Any final thoughts from either you or Austin or Gary? Nope. Uh, one thought that was a very inspiring answer. <clears throat> and um, also there's a, a particular passage from the Law of One that I would like to read because I think it's relevant here talking about desire. And that is in 18.5, uh, Ra's responding to a question that Jim asked about the proper role of the individual self uh, in this density. And Ra responded, The proper role of the entity is in this density to experience all things desired, to then analyze, understand, and accept these experiences, distilling from them the love light within them. Nothing shall be overcome. That which is not needed falls away. The orientation develops due to an analysis of desire. These desires become more and more distorted towards conscious application of love-light as the entity furnishes itself with distilled experience. We have found it to be inappropriate in the extreme to encourage the overcoming of any desires except to suggest the imagination rather than the carrying out in the physical plane, as you call it, of those desires not consonant with the law of one, this preserving the primal distortion of free will. 
The reason it is unwise to overcome is that overcoming is an unbalanced action creating difficulties and balancing in the time-space continuum. Overcoming this creates the further environment for holding on to that which apparently has been overcome. All things are acceptable in the proper time for each entity, and in experiencing, and understanding, and accepting, and then sharing with other selves, the appropriate description shall be moving away from the distortions of one kind to distortions of another, which may be more consonant with the law of one. It is, shall we say, a shortcut to simply ignore or overcome any desire. It must instead be understood and accepted. This takes patience and experience, which can be analyzed with care, with compassion for the self and for other self. Just wanted to put that one out there for Ivan. Good one. Okay, Gary, anything more for you? Uh, no, thanks for asking. Okay, uh, next question is from uh, Michaela, perhaps? Um, I think so. Uh, could you please explain personality transparency, and how does this relate to an unblocked third chakra? Gary, what have you to say about this? <clears throat> That's a really interesting question. And uh, I began by just trying to get my head around what it means to be a transparent or non-transparent personality. So I'll start there. A transparent personality is a personality that still exists as a personality, but it's, it's uh, characterized by not obscuring the creator's love and light with an opaqueness. Of self. So, what makes a personality opaque? Eckhart Tolle might say uh, that it is identification with past conditioning and mental patterns and absence of witnessing awareness. In such a state, one is unconscious in one degree or another. Uh, one is blindly, knee jerkedly, even mechanically following a great variety of conditioning from the past that's kicked into gear by the catalyst of the moment. And uh, insofar as that is happening, one is confined by the values and the internal logic of that conditioning. So, um, for instance, those values and logic might demand um, an enhancement of the separate self or defense of the separate self or obsession upon or clinging to the separate self, undervaluation or overvaluation of that separate self, uh, seeking of gratification or ease or pleasure for the separate self, etc., etc. Um, so as uh, your awareness is identified with this separate entity, who most of us think that we are, and the attention is focused exclusively upon it, then one's will and energies are reserved strictly for this separate being. Um, then it is the separate self which is energized and made solid or opaque. It is the separate self that others will see and respond to and relate to. <clears throat> um, and then, so what is obscured either partially or fully, is the subtle presence of the spacious and loving and accepting and witnessing awareness. Uh, it is the greater self that is operating in the higher chakras uh, that is being obscured. <clears throat> um, the non-transparent personality, this opaqueness, 
cloaks the humble and authentic self that is at heart honest and service-oriented and radiant. Uh, that self which offers a clearer mirror reflecting love, light, and unity and divinity to the onlooker. <clears throat> so uh, that said, if that made any sense, um, how does removing the blockages of yellow ray or the third energy center contribute to a transparent personality? Uh, so naturally, I conceived of this as in the terms that the Confederation describes of the function of yellow ray. So first and foremost, um, <clears throat> by removing the blockages of yellow ray, the energy is rising to the heart chakra, granting the entity its first conscious awareness of love. In so doing, the entity has taken a very important step away from the illusion of the individual I, that opaque self, and into the authentic self into a beginning awareness of the unity of all things due to the melting nature of love. Um, and how specifically or what happens when one unblocks the third ray and becomes more transparent? I believe that um, that necessarily involves releasing the need for dominance and control through personal will in social dynamics and groups. Um, not only the self's dominance and control of groups, but releasing the need for one's particular group to dominate and control other groups. Uh, for instance, uh, people in the USA could um, <laughs> release, may be experiencing a yellow ray blockage to say our country is number one and we should um, rule the world, <laughs> as it were, or dominate in some way. <clears throat> I don't know how far that goes, actually, but um, also unblocking the other ray would involve releasing the need for enhancement and status of the self in relationship to the group or the group in relationship to other groups, uh, which isn't to say that to focus upon one's group or one's relationship to the group is an activity of blocked energy. Rather, it is um, the particular type of orientation that one has to their group or the orientation that one has regarding their group to other groups uh, that is that which blocks third ray so if you can untangle that mess uh, good luck and back to you Jim <laughs> thank you Gary there's a lot of effort went into that I'm sure um, Austin what do you think about that question I think that Gary and I are on the same page, especially in regards to what exactly a transparent personality is. <clears throat> I have some slightly uh, not um, incongruent thoughts about what, how Yellow Ray relates to that, but maybe supplementary. And my idea of what Yellow Ray, I don't know if it is a popular interpretation or not, but um, I'm not sure if you guys would agree. But the uh, third chakra would be the yellow ray in which Ra describes as concerning the entity in relation to groups, societies, or large numbers of mind-body-spirit complexes. <clears throat> and I've always viewed this ray as a sort of social identity ray, like our interface with society, uh, where we place ourselves in society, and how we relate to where society places us. As we grow up, 
we kind of struggle to learn exactly how we fit into society at large. This involves adopting various social norms that will help us to define ourselves as some uh, part of a group. This might be seen in things like uh, cliques and social circles in schools. I think that these start developing once children are first interacting with Yellow Ray. Um, you can look at the typical tropes like uh, we have jocks and nerds and band kids and skaters and goths and a, a wide array of many more types of social identities that uh, kids can kind of try on and see how it feels using that identity to relate to others. And they might tr relate in kinship with others of their own group or similar groups or they might have some sort of rivalry with another group like there's the classic sort of uh, nerds versus jocks rivalry kind of thing. <clears throat> Outside of school, this sort of identity might be seen in something like religion, uh, pride for location, like uh, patriotism, like Gary was talking about, uh, career path, even a music taste, being a fan of a sports team, and even things like gender identity. Uh, these are all ways for us to identify ourselves within society, and with these things we become part of a larger group, and we allow others in society to have some context for how we fit into that society. So what I think happens is that as we grow up and go through the struggle of finding our place in society, we sort of pick and choose these things. We find out what fits, or maybe some things are thrust upon us, like religion, and uh, we interface with society through these identities and take on their qualities, which may include things like moral ideas or a framework of how we relate to others. Sometimes these identities uh, are referred to as masks, as we put them on in order to present ourselves to those around us in a certain way. But as one begins the spiritual path of evolution, we learn to contemplate these things about ourselves. We are introduced to a higher level of introspection that takes us deeper to the heart of our true selves. And once we do this, we can start to question whether or not these social identities are congruent with this higher nature. I believe this is where the idea of transparency of personality comes in. We start to examine these masks that we wear for society, our personalities, and we realize that we are holding on to some of them because of desires or ideas or biases that don't serve us nor others. And so we can discard those masks. We might find some masks that seem to be a pretty good representation of how we see ourselves in our higher nature, and we can hold on to those and develop those more fully, allowing our personality to grow closer to our truer nature or become more transparent to it, uh, this truer nature being the creator that Gary was talking about. Uh, we might find some masks that are kind of in between that we really want to retain because they make it easy for us to connect with those around us in society, but it still feels sort of off, so we have to do a lot of work to try to balance those masks and see if we can bring them closer into alignment with who we truly are while still identifying socially with those uh, masks. So when our social identities no longer obscure that which they truly are, I think we have become crystallized in our yellow ray. I think that is why Ross says that in order to completely unblock yellow ray, uh, we have to love all which are in relationship to us 
and uh, hope for our other selves, joy, peace, and comfort. Because this is the natural state of the creator that we wish to become transparent to in ourselves when we polarize positively. Uh, <clears throat> we no longer allow our social identities to impose upon us how we feel about those around us, nor how we feel about ourselves. The social identity uh, we have retained and crystallized is in alignment with our higher path, and it allows us to feel love for all those who are in relationship to us. So that's how I see the yellow ray relating to transparent identity. How about you, Jim? Good job, Austin. Well, um, it's personal uh, transparency. I think we have to make an assumption here that what uh, Michaela is talking about is the removal of various distortions that we each have as we move through our incarnations. That those are the reasons that we're here, and we're trying to uh, balance them. I would say probably personality transparency or a balanced personality is what she's talking about, or he, I'm not sure. And then we also have to make an assumption about the unblocked third chakra, and that is that also the uh, orange and the red are probably unblocked or it won't work really to get any energy through to the heart chakra. So what happens then when we have a basically balanced personality that is able to get into the heart chakra? Um, I think what we're all trying to do here in the third density is to re reach this situation where we can find a way to balance our distortions and get into our heart and begin to share the love and light of the Creator with all of those around us, uh, begin to uh, serve others more than we serve ourselves. And hopefully with a, if we had an actual transparent personality or a balanced personality, that that percentage would be uh, great, much greater than the 51% that is necessary for graduation into fourth density. So the... Uh, Personality transparency relates to the unblocked third chakra, I do believe, in unlocking the, un the unconditional love and the uh, compassion that re rests in the heart chakra so that we begin to um, more purely reflect the nature of the Creator at that level of our being. And that's really the whole purpose of these 75,000 years we spend here mm -hmm. on uh, planet Earth in the third density. Any other thoughts on that idea? 75,000 years sounds like such a long time in light of how intensive these years are. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a reply, and both of your um, responses were excellent per usual, but Austin's, yours was especially smoking today. Um, <laughs> I realized that I had defined blockage of the yellow ray far too narrowly in terms of dominance and control, which is certainly one aspect of blockage, and it's probably uh, that through which the negative polarity maximizes in order to exclude the heart completely and um, do their thing, um, reach intelligent infinity through the primary chakras and so forth. Um, I really liked what you said regarding how the yellow ray is a ray of social identity whereby through which we interface with our society and... Um, through which we explore how we fit into uh, groups, how those groups relate to us, and um, you liken them to masks. And I realized then that, or rather, I guess I should ask you, are you then saying that the more we identify with those masks, and the more that they interfere with our ability to love and appreciate all others, then the more that that mask serves as a blockage. 
Yeah, I think that is pretty much close to what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> I think that, uh, especially in terms of accessing higher energy centers, I think that some masks can be congruent with higher energy centers so long as there is a conscious realization of how that mask operates within society and then how it also relates to our higher natures or the creator in that way. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, if uh, somebody identifies so strongly with a social identity that um, it completely blocks their ability to love a certain group of other people, let's say some social group you belong to, one of the things that really defines that group is that they do not associate with this other group of people, then I think that that is uh, identifying so strongly with the mask that it's a blockage. Wow, that that's brilliant. Um, and that uh, leads me to think of Ra describing how I don't know if they use the word base, but that's the word that comes to my mind. That's a concept that comes to my mind. How all, even the most base desires or aspects or the gross aspects of the physical body and so forth can be uplifted, transmuted, transformed. I think they said this in the context of um, sexuality. So likewise, um, the mask that we wear, you mentioned them becoming congruent and in alignment with our higher natures. So through the process of spiritual evolution, um, it's not so much that we rip the mask off, but rather that energy at that level is lifted up and transmuted. And the mask likewise changes to be more congruent and in alignment uh, with our higher nature. And then the more that that happens, the more that it becomes see-through, it becomes transparent and it stops obscuring the higher nature. Yeah, yeah. In this analogy, I guess analogies only go so far. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, I completely lost what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, transmuting the mask into right the mask. Uh, one thing that I like in Yellow Ray Two a lot is. Um, Carl Jung's persona, which is essentially the same thing. Our persona is the masks that we put on to relate to society. And Carl Jung says that at a certain point, once we individuate, which um, I relate to polarizing and accessing higher energy centers, the persona uh, dissolves. But when I hear that word dissolves, I don't think that it disappears. I think that it becomes sort of flexible and molds to that higher nature because I think the mask is still necessary for us to interface with society. Um, if we want to affect change in the world, if we want to serve others, we have to be able to connect with others on some way. And connecting with others on a societal level is crucial because that is the density that we're in. We're in the, the third density, the third ray density. And so we are in the density of social interaction. And so it's crucial for us to have the masks to interface at all. But those masks can sort of conform to that which is higher uh, that we are attempting to polarize towards. Hmm. And in that regard, then, even physical clothing itself, the material that we wear, um, can be an expression of our group membership, our tribal identity, as it were, and um, can be kind of a, a physical manifestation of the analogy of the mask. 
in a way. And some people wear clothing to really say who they are. And like you were saying about groups being exclusive, some people wear clothing in order to say, I am a, a member of this exclusive group uh, and I reject this other group, whereas some people can wear clothing simply for the utility of it and not pay too much attention. Um, and, you know, with so many, an infinite variety of shades between. But for some reason, my mind made an association and thought of how clothing relates <laughs> to social yeah. identity. Yeah. I think clothing is probably one of the most obvious and direct aspects of social identity. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't really think about clothing too much nowadays. I mean, I buy things that I like to wear and I like the look of, and just doing so uh, is a choice to present to others what I like to look at and what I like to present myself as. But think about and being in like high school, how much <laughs> stress there is trying to pick the type of clothing that will properly identify you as the social group that you want to be in, especially with like the more uh, drastic social groups. Like I mentioned goths, like you see a goth person on the street and you know what social group they belong to and they want to show you what social group they belong to. They're trying to tell you something about themselves without you knowing them on an individual level. Yeah, I uh, realized that not long ago when I was thinking about like people that try to dress and look tough um, or toughly, uh, like bikers, for instance, and I'm not saying this is true of all bikers, but, uh, or gang members where <laughs> they, um, they put a lot of effort into their costume, so to speak. And that's what it is. It's, it's a costume that has certain characteristics or markers that identify them as being one of that particular group. And uh, regarding the pressures of high school, that is certainly true. And it's a little uh, carryover that hasn't completely left um, my brain. And insofar as we're on the topic of clothing, uh, recently uh, my wife and I got a, our first home. And um, it's created some small shifts in my own attitude towards myself. And I think one of those may be some little tweaking of Yellow Ray in that I feel the need to dress a little bit more properly. Um, <laughs> Uh, collared shirts a little bit more button up and uh, I don't know I don't know if I am conforming to uh, my perception of what the neighborhood is like or so forth but if, if I just feel this need to kind of stand a little bit taller and look a, a little bit more that way and um, it also occurred to me that uh, Jeremy and I were having this conversation that uh, in so doing I'm also making it easier for me to integrate and flow within society so that people see less, hopefully, see less of my appearance and can more readily hear what it is I have to say or more readily feel um, my energetic vibration, as it were, versus being caught up on what I may be wearing that uh, that then that thus impedes whatever message may be communicated from me vocally or energetically. Interesting point. All right, guys. Y'all are hot. <laughs> Sorry about the tangent. <laughs> no, you, you guys are really doing well. Uh, I think that takes us to the end of the show. I think so, uh, does indeed. Next week, we'll start off with Jeremy's questions, which will probably be an entire show by themselves. Mm -hmm. 
So, you've been listening to the LL Research Weekly Podcast in the now. If you've enjoyed the show, and how could you not, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for use before the next show, please read the instructions on the page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We love you all. Please know that every day. And have a wonderful week.